Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everyone. I'm Steve Clear. Thanks for joining us here at the Next Level Brands Podcast. Our show is being brought to you today by Next Level Brands CPG Community. A merger of the experience of Next Level Marketing and the educational resources of Kitchen to Shelf, the Next Level Brands community brings together CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth, providing knowledge, training, courses, and networking, not only with fellow entrepreneurs, but also key partners in the industry, including packaging, finance, and e-commerce. More details are available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Well, everyone, we have a treat today. Well, actually, we have two treats. Let me explain. First, I'm sharing the microphone today with co-host Deborah Armstrong. And for those of you who don't know Deborah's work with Kitchen to Shelf and her popular To Do Tuesday blog, she's an ETC, an educator, trainer, and coach, not to mention my wife, which also speaks volumes about her patients. Last but not least, she is the co-founder of the Next Level Brands community. Second treat, we're both here today to welcome Michelle Davis to the program. Michelle is the president and CEO of Cacao, a healthy and delicious chocolate company based in Beaverton, Oregon. She's also a mother of four stepmother of five, and grandmother of 13. And after her 26-year marriage ended in divorce and were left with no job, she split her comfort zone and headed to Portland. Michelle always tells folks that this was a journey of death, divorce, and chocolate. And we're going to let her fill you in on that. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. So um, first of all, love your, love your chocolates. They're, they're great. I have some in the refrigerator right now. So, <laughs> Thank um, you. I'll probably have a taste of those when we're done. Transparency, folks. Deb is also a brand ambassador for the brand, so <laughs> you have to use that during the program. Yep. But no softballs to Michelle. No, 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 no. Okay, no. Right. I, well, I really do love a lot of chocolate, so you know, <laughs> yeah, we all chocolate, do. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. So um, I wanted to start off and um, ask you a little bit, actually, first about your whole story, right? So you got on a bus and came to Portland. So why don't you kind of fill us in on this kind of amazing, quirky story? <laughs> So our story, we call it death, divorce, and chocolate. The reason is when my husband, uh, who is my co-founder, so transparency there, give him a shout out. um, He was on a very restricted diet and needed a treat. And so he messed around with recipes and came up with Coca-Cow. And that's actually how it's pronounced. And he um, thought, you know, I could turn this into a business. So that was about 11 years ago. Well, he came to Oregon, to Portland for a job change. And he was here about four weeks when he had to go back uh, home to Utah, where he was from, because his wife, who was packing up the house, had gotten sick. He arrived there and she died that night from cancer. On the other side of it, I moved to Portland after my marriage ended of 26 years in divorce, and I needed um, a change because otherwise I probably would have remarried him for the third time. Yes, three times almost. Uh, So I got here, uh, no job, no place to live, and thought I can do this. And I was able to find a job, find a place to live, but I wasn't able to really find anybody to date. So Jeff and I met on Facebook and on our first date, he said, do you like chocolate and coconut? 
course I said yes, but little did I know that that answer of yes would lead me here today and being the CEO of company. We started the business two years into a new marriage. I am the left brain. He is the right brain. My uh, history is in accounting. And um, we blended all that together through a love of chocolate. And we have a large blended family with uh, nine children, their spouses. And as of about six weeks ago, our 13 grandchildren. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot to keep track of. <laughs> it is. I have a calendar. <laughs> so, Michelle, oh, oh, OK, like a number of people, your initial foray into the food making is to deal with a personal issue and, and, and come up with something that can be consumed healthily and, and all that. Where did you guys go from making this for Jeff to and you to making this for friends and then, oh, maybe we're going to do a company? Well, that's kind of the groundwork that Jeff laid. He uh, sampled it with friends and family. So by the time I met him, he had the recipe pretty close to what he wanted. And that's kind of what we talked about on our first date is this product that he wanted to turn into a business. And for me, I had always wanted to have my own business. I was always a working mom. And I always thought if I could just have my own company, I would try and help, you know, working moms or single parents with flexible schedules, you know, build a great big facility someday that would have on-site daycare and do those things that I never had as a working mom. And so when he mentioned the company, the idea, I was 100% on board because that satisfied my left brain. And so we went ahead and pulled the trigger at a small farmer's market. But doing that pushed me completely out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I'm an accountant. And so being behind a cubicle, looking at a computer all day was where I was most comfortable. Sales and interacting with people was not my comfort zone. So how was that first farmer's market? Oh, it was, it was so scary. Um, it was a little farmer's market here in Beaverton. It's the Cedar Mill Farmer's Market, maybe 20 vendors. So it was very, very small. The night before, I asked Jeff to write me a script because I didn't know what I was going to say to people. I honestly wanted to throw up. I was so nervous. I was so scared. I, what, if, what if people ask me questions I didn't know? What am I supposed to say to them? What what do you do? I had never done anything like that before. And I was just, I was petrified because that is not what I wanted to do. I wanted to balance the till, but mm -hmm. to have to be out trying to sell was so scary. And when that first market was over, I think I fell asleep in the car going home because I had, you know, mentally had just exhausted myself. But over time, it got easier and easier. And then it became fun. And when you guys started, were you actually making it in your own kitchen? Of, uh, and, and then did you move to a commercial kitchen or what was the growth there? So we did start in our kitchen. We did the domestic you know, license of our kitchen, means no pets, um, if you're going to do anything like that. And we did that for about two and a half, almost three years. But we got to this wow. stage of business that, Places like New Seasons required a commercial kitchen if you wanted to be in their store. And right. so 
farmer's market's fine, but when you hit retail, you know, you've got to have that commercial kitchen. So we made the jump uh, to our commercial kitchen. A lot of people asked why we didn't go into a commissary kitchen. And for people listening that maybe don't know what a commissary kitchen is, it's shared space. And for us, that wasn't going to work because at any time we needed all day to be able to produce, depending upon the size of the POs that we received, we needed to be able to store, you know, a lot of cacao powder um, and everything. And so sharing a space in a commissary kitchen just didn't work for us. So we had to jump over that stage and go straight to our own kitchen um, that we could have total control over. Wow. Yeah, that's a commitment. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> and now for, for, for folks who may not know, but you also have uh, um, a little bit of the challenge in the fact that it's a refrigerated product. So it's not like we're just making a candy bar you can put it on the shelf here. This, this is, is more delicate. It requires a certain amount of handling too. Yeah. Uh, so Coca-Cow is made out of just three organic ingredients. It's organic coconut oil coconut nectar for the sweetener and cacao powder. That's the base of everything. We then add in different things like hazelnut and sea salt, dried blueberries, uh, mint, cayenne and cinnamon. And as of right now, uh, pumpkin spice is now going for the season. <laughs> and so because it is coconut oil based, it will melt, you know, relatively low temperatures. Right. So in a store, we can't be on the shelf. We have to be in the refrigerator section which is a challenge. You know, refrigerated space is a premium in the store. Um, it's not like I, we can just come in and set up an end display or something like that. It's a lot more of a challenge than a shelf-stable product. There was, um, it, it, it's funny because at the time over, let's just say the last five years, there's been an explosion in products that require refrigeration. So they're, they're either slacked out, frozen, and they, they, they thaw and they, but juices and like perfect bar and a number of the other players in a space that just used to kind of be maybe Odwalla. And then the rest of it was ready to go, you know, Pepsi, Coke, whatever. And, and so you have this section that all of a sudden now has to start taking in different types of foods, different types of snacks, treats, whatever, because of this, refrigeration idea when you guys were, were when you guys were starting to look at retail um what was that space like that you were looking at did you go into a new season or whatever and say okay so we'd probably be here next to whatever well for us um and i've got to do a shout out to honey mamas because they have paved the way for the refrigerated chocolate uh, we are different than them um you know, our packaging is different. We're in pieces. We're vegan and certified organic. But Christy was fantastic in that she has paved the way for this new category of refrigerated chocolate, which a lot of buyers are still struggling with understanding. Mm -hmm. So when we came in, um, we have found ourselves, if we don't explain to the buyer exactly, you know, what it is, even though it says keep refrigerated we have found ourselves thrown onto the chocolate aisle. And then it's mm. like, nope, uh, that's not where we go. But it is getting a lot better. Uh, actually, it feels like the pandemic has helped this because people are really focusing on their health. They're wanting to know what's in their, their snacks. And the trend is more now to the 
fresh to the better for you type of snacking. And so even big retailers like Walmart have recognized this and they are putting in more refrigeration and they are building out the better for you uh, category. You know, we didn't mention this before, but um, maybe for the audience, um, when you made that leap into retail, is your buyer a confection buyer or a dairy buyer or a deli? Who, who did you go to or who did you end up with? Or all of the above. Uh-huh. Uh, it, that is probably one of the biggest challenges is figuring out who the buyer is. It, in some stores, it is the person that purchases all the chocolate. In some stores, it's the dairy buyer. In some stores, uh, it's the bakery market of choice. We're under the bakery. Okay. Uh, so going into a store, you really have to go in and really explain what your product is and almost walk with them and say, this is where we would be found and show them in the store where we feel we fit. And then they're like, oh, no, no, that's not me. That's this other person. Um, right. That's what we've had to do. So I have a question. So going in for the first time out of your comfort zone, doing sales, tell me about the first time you approached a buyer. How did you reach out to them? And how did that go for you? So my first time uh, is a little store here in uh, Portland called Sheridan's. And I didn't know exactly how you approach a buyer. Again, I asked Jeff to write me a script of what I'm (laughs) supposed to say. And I sat in my car for a few minutes and just like, okay, I've got to calm down, got to calm down. And I just walked in with a bag of chocolate and started asking who I would talk to. And she was super nice. Her name's Mary. And she sat down with me and was so kind and, you know, said, okay, we'll bring you in. Um, So it was a great experience for a first time, but It's really a matter of just, you just have to do it. You just have to, you know, step out of your comfort zone and try it because then it only gets easier. Yeah. The buyers are getting, are maybe harder to find or harder to get to, Mm -hmm. but until you make that first step and actually attempt it, it's, it's not going to get any easier. So you just do it. So you, you, you went straight into the store. You didn't call and set up an appointment or, you know, cause some people are aspirational here. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm like, what would you do? So you walk into the store. So you just kind of walked in and, and started asking. I did. Now this was back in 2016. So pre COVID. Oh yeah. True. Um, so now, you know, things could be different. Um, I didn't know if I should try and reach them. Now I don't just walk into a store. Now I I do try and reach the buyer and because they're so busy, you know, and having people walking in and throwing product at them and, you know, doing that all day long, that's, they don't like that. And so I would recommend to anyone listening is call the store, find out who the buyer is, find out their email address, um, send a sell sheet. Didn't even know what a sell sheet was until, (laughs) you know, just a couple of years ago, it feels like. Um, But do your preliminary work. Uh, They don't like it if you just walk in on them. I, yeah, I I, kind of had that feeling. So I was just wondering on that part of it too, when you're saying sitting out in the car, I'm like, okay, I think she just. That's why Mary was really nice. (laughs) 
And, you know, I, I think a lot of the buyers are, but they are, they're busy and, and busy. it's, it's something on their to-do list, right? So you're really excited and then they have it, they have their to-do list that they're going through. Right. So one of those. How's, how's the transition been from that kind of face-to-face to having to deal with virtual buying and, and obviously you would have to ship samples in beforehand and hopefully they're kept in the refrigerator overnight and all that good stuff. But, but how's yeah. it been for you to handle that? So part of me likes it because we're able to, um, I, I like using email, being able to get them information and get some responses coming, but the samples are rough because we do have to ship it. We have to ship by FedEx uh, with ice packs to keep it cool. We've had a couple of situations when it arrives, okay, but then nobody knew what to do with it. So they left it out. Um, and so it melted. And so then we had to send again. So it's, if you have a shelf stable product, sending samples isn't a big deal. But if you're a refrigerated product, I have found that I need to communicate directly to the buyer that this is a refrigerated product. It is coming by FedEx. It will say open upon arrival. And that means throw it into the fridge and let them clearly understand that you need to watch for it. And when it arrives, tell people to get it into a fridge. That is helping than just, if you just send a sample without their knowledge in it's refrigerated, it's not going to work out well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, definitely a challenge there. You, you mentioned earlier, Michelle, about your left brain, right brain, you and Jeff. Um, how do you, do you guys basically break up the responsibility in the, in the firm that way? Is that, you know, Jeff is sort of production operations and you're more, or, or does he also do selling and marketing as well? Well, right now he still works a day job to cover the insurance on all those children. Sure. Uh, so, <laughs> so he is more of the vision, the high level type of thing right now. I have all of it, uh, marketing, sales, the accounting part, which I'm happy with. Um, I, you know, he's, he's at the 30,000 foot level kind of looking and saying, okay, we're going to need a different piece of equipment if we get, you know, our production to this level. And so he starts researching that equipment. So that is where he's at. Now, hopefully, um, we're hoping by next year that he will be able to leave his day job and then he will start handling all the operations and as far as marketing goes, um, going to be looking to outsource that. Yeah. So it's good to outsource what you don't like doing. Yes. <laughs> for, for most people, it's like they get rid of the accounting first, not the marketing and the no. sales, right? So it's yeah. nice that you, have, you staying in there and doing the marketing and doing the accounting. The, outsourcing. The are going to be okay. That's what that comes down to. Right. When you get to it. So, so with your growth that you've had, so you've gone on, so you just were lucky enough to win a really big kind of prize. It's putting you out there even more. So tell us about that and your whole like entering, you've entered a few of them. So kind of tell us how you use that to grow your business. So one thing, um, boy, it was probably within the first year was entering pitch competitions. Also extremely scary. Uh, Started with Founders Live. It's a very short, I believe 90 or 99 second pitch. And 
did that and uh, landed right at the 99 seconds. And I won that one. And so that gave me some, um, you know, encouragement that, okay, I could stand up in front of people and I could do that. Uh, we did, we were chosen to do a Thai Oregon event. Jeff and I tried to pitch together. That doesn't work for us to do two people. It's a one person situation. We learned that. And then I started um, applying for different like accelerators, which I highly recommend because it gives you a community. So we won the Beaverton Startup Challenge um, last year, and that's a little community. Again, it's all about pitches. So it's a lot of pitch practice. Um, I've competed in the Angel Food Oregon events here in Oregon, uh, did not win them, but again, good practice, but the one that we're super excited about, which we won in June was the KHE Next Generation Innovation Showcase Faceoff. Now for people that don't know, KHE is one of the large national natural food distributors and they had this competition. Um, there were 500 applicants. They chose five companies who were not a part of KEHI currently, and we were chosen. So right there was a huge win. And we had to, of course, pitch for it. And the people attending their um, holiday, holiday show had to vote because we had a recorded pitch for them to watch. And we won. And that has given Yay. us a place in. Kehi's Elevate program. And Elevate is a small group of brands that is kind of like an incubator. They are helping us because we first, uh, we've never been with Kehi before, and they feel our brands are innovative and uh, trending. And so with this win in January, we're going to be rolling out to eight distribution centers across the country, um, which is very exciting. Yes. And that's where sales is going to have to come in, you know, and get stores to back those up. But it's, it's opened up, um, you know, pretty much, you know, across the country for us because it was hard you know, to find little distributors that might focus in one area, but KHE can go across the entire country. And I mean, it's just been a huge win and they have been so good to work with. I have been very impressed with, um, you know, the work I've been doing with them, laying all the groundwork. It does take a long time to onboard with a large distributor. Right. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of challenges with doing that, but it can be, you know, it's, it's, um, I think people are sometimes hesitant about distributors. And of course, everybody has their distributor horror stories and all yep. the distrib distributors I know have client horror stories. So, you know, but, you know, mm -hmm. expectations is, is a really good thing to start out with is what, you know, you expect they're going to do and what they're not going to do. Um, and then obviously holding up your end of the bargain, but that's, that's really exciting. So you, you want to tell us real quick about your latest win? Oh, the latest oh. win that just happened a few minutes ago. Yep. That, uh, <laughs> that one. Yes. So we are going to be in the next few months uh, found in all the Erewhon locations in the LA area, which for us, that is our target audience right there. Um, and so 
Congratulations. That was such good news to hear. It's it's so exciting because that's that's a great store uh, for for our brand and just because the eyes on Erewhon um, will be seen by a lot more people. And Erewhon is one of those stores that buyers from other stores go to and look and see what's exactly. there, you know? So it's, um, it, it's really important. That, that's great. So uh, from a logistical side, Michelle, how, how are um, the K is the KHE distribution being handled? So are, are they coming to your facility, picking the stuff up, refrigerated all the way and, and taking care of it? Is that the way we're going to have to work it because our facility does not have a loading dock. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, yep. it's that's one drawback <laughs> to it. Uh, we'll hopefully move to a larger one, possibly uh, next year or in 2023. So what we're going to be doing is utilizing the refrigerated warehouses that are around the Portland area. Yep. And we'll let Kehi pick up from there because they've got the loading docks. Um, you don't want to bring a great big truck and have them just stop on our main road and block traffic. <laughs> so we're going to try and do that. We were going to try and do it from our facility, but we just, we literally can't put a pallet out through the door. Yeah. So. Yeah. so have you thought about one of the things Steve talks about a lot is when you start hitting, you know, the sales and then the production and keeping up with both of those. So yeah. how are you tackling that? So that's my next stress, but <laughs> Um, You're welcome no, for bringing it up to your attention. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That that pit in my stomach. Thanks so much. Um, no, luckily we are our own manufacturer, so we don't have to have a co-packer, which, you know, there's good and bad with a co-packer, but for us, um, we can control how much we're producing based upon the POs. And so we have still a lot of bandwidth in our current facility. Mm-hmm. We're also implementing some new equipment um, that is going to help streamline the production a little more. And so it will, it will work for us for, for quite a while, but we're always on the lookout to try and uh, work you know, actively fundraising so that we can get those bigger pieces of equipment and start moving towards automation. And, and since you're the accounting side and you just mentioned it, uh, my next question was going to be kind of about sort of the financial story. And you guys started out probably bootstrapping, but what, what have you done and what do you got planned for the, the future? So, yes, we started out uh, just us and uh, our credit cards and <laughs> did that whole, yeah, uh, you know, starting your own business will destroy you. But um, then we had after we were doing it for a little while, then friends and family realized, Hey, they're actually serious and they, you know, are doing something. So then we had some friends and family put in some money, which helped get some uh, better equipment, larger equipment. And uh, then our next step is not a VC type of, not a seed round, but we're going to be doing like looking for angel investment. And that will help with probably getting into a larger place and getting more automated equipment, hiring additional people. So yeah, you always have to be fundraising. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the uh, it's it's also the chicken and egg syndrome, which is yeah. the, you look for distribution and sales, and that's what that's what you know the investors want to see. But then I could get that distribution and the sales if I had the investment. So exactly, that yeah. is. That's the hard part about it is they want to see, you know, this big ramp up of sales, 
which would be great. But to do that, you need this big equipment to do it. So it's a fine line you walk. And that's why I, um, you know, we're able to control that versus having to have a co-packer where you have such the upfront cost and trying to time the production runs with your co-packer. So for us, manufacturing ourselves gives us a little more flexibility. Yeah, that's a, it's a much better to have that control. It's a, it's a, a lot of fun. Um, so let's talk for about chocolate and flavors for a few minutes. So, um, people might not have picked up on this, but let's talk about cinnamon cayenne for a minute. <laughs> how, did, how did that mean? Blueberries, hazelnuts, I got all that's great. How did the cayenne cinnamon thing come up? So one thing that a farmer's market is great for, and I really do recommend that if you are starting a food brand, definitely start in some farmer's markets because there you have face-to-face interaction with your customers. And we found over the what three, four years of doing farmer's markets, that was the flavor. They wanted a spicy chocolate. That's what people kept asking for. When are you going to make a spicy chocolate? And so uh, Jeff and my daughter uh, came up with that. He wanted the cayenne. She thought we should temper it a little bit with cinnamon. And that's the way it came to be. Um, It is spicy. It does have kick to it. And people that like spicy chocolate, that's, you know, fits that little need for them. Um, So as far as flavors go, it's kind of what are the people asking for? Right. That's funny because my brother-in-law likes that one out of all your chocolates. I, I do like them. That's the one I haven't purchased again. So <laughs> it's like not my favorite. My brother-in-law did love it though. Yeah. He, he liked it because he I, likes I like that. Yeah. You, you have to like that. I mean, right. for me, blueberry is my go-to because that's what I liked was the fruit in it. Um, but you know, for, for Jeff, that spicy heat is his favorite. So I like that's where we have a variety. Yeah. I like the mint. I, that's, yep. that's my go-to. It's that nice after dinner mint taste. Yes. Yes. So, so since we're still sort of, um, I, I'm, I'm still calling it mid pandemic because that's kind of what it is around um, with getting used to a new product and getting consumers to try a new product. Traditionally it's demos and sampling and whatever, which obviously some has come back, but most of it's still gone. Um, what did you guys do for, for the pandemic and what are you planning on doing to increase trial in the absence of those demos? Well, during the pandemic, uh, we went through a complete rebranding and new packaging. Prior, we had a great big bar, it was a quarter pound bar. It was in a plastic tray, sealed in plastic because that's what could travel at farmer's markets. But it was too big for retail. It had a price point of uh, $10 a bar. And if you ha- didn't try it, you're not going to s- go up on the shelf and grab a $10 bar of chocolate. So I really relied upon demos back in those days. Well, when you could no longer demo at a farmer's market um, you know, or sample at it, we needed to make a change. And so it was something we've been wanting to do. So we changed it. We changed our look and change the packaging to what we now have, 12 pre-portioned pieces. Um, and now the price point for retail is in the 5 to $6 range. 
And so that really helped us during the pandemic because people will take a chance on a $5 box of chocolate and not a $10 one. So with the smaller box and a smaller price point, we had people trying it and our velocity actually increased even without the demos. So it it was great timing for us because it, you know, really helped during this. Now demos are are slowly ish coming back. Um, Not so much for the actual vendor, but there are demo companies that different stores will contract with that know the rules and will start demoing products again. Yeah. And, and, and of course, again, being refrigerated, keeping, keeping that optimal temperature as opposed to taking 10 packages sitting them out on a, on a, on a table and having somebody who doesn't understand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a very, very, yeah, it's, kind of it's tricky. It really is tricky. So uh, the other place I was going to go was uh, to talk, if you can share with us a little bit, obviously you've, you've had tremendous growth during this period of time. Um, and, and maybe it's maybe now what you and Jeff are doing is trying to catch up with that growth as opposed to, you know, looking forward, but um, being on with Kehi and having the opportunity to be distributed in other places. Um, what are you looking at for next year and the year after in terms of growth? Like where would you like to go and where do you see the brand going? So next year, uh, we really are going to focus on building out the eight distribution centers that we are opening with Kehi. Uh, People need to understand that a distributor is not your sales team. I thought it was back in the beginning. I thought as long as you have a distributor, they're going to go out and sell your product. Well, they're not. Uh, So we are going to be looking for um, either outsourced sales or, or a broker to help build up those DCs. And that is going to be our focus. We're probably not in next year going to try and open up any new DCs unless there's a demand. And we're also stabilizing with the flavors we have so that we can really focus next year is all about growing and the sales growth and making sure those DCs are are well supported with stores and getting the product out to those. Um, We're also looking at um, possibly, you know, fixing our, our online as Deborah, you know, when we have to ship, it's, it's difficult for us to ship off our website. (laughs) I I can see, I I have friends that I've told how good it is, but I'm like, you have to, to get the free shipping. Yeah. 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 You buy 10 of them. And it's a $50 minimum for free shipping. Um, which is what most people actually do, but it, that's because we have to have ice packs and everything. So right. we're also oh, going, to, going to be looking at uh, possibly trying to incorporate dry ice, which has its own you know, problems when you're trying to ship with like FedEx. But um, looking at that a little bit, we're probably going to get our Amazon site back up and going. We had it up uh, pre-pandemic. And then when we changed the packaging, we just haven't activated it with the new yet. Just so again, it's shipping. Yeah. So I'm just curious. So when you get to the distributions and you get out to retail, do you think you'll limit more what you do direct to consumer just because of that shipping issue? I don't think we're going to limit it. What I'd rather do is drive people to stores. Right. So um, we're working with FAIR, the online wholesale Mm -hmm. um, group too, 
for those smaller stores that don't work with the large distributors, Mm -hmm. but I would rather drive people into the grocery stores than to try and build up, you know, have this great e-commerce site because it just doesn't work for us as well without, you know, a lot of investment and special packaging with dry ice. Because obviously, you know, companies ship meat and seafood and stuff, but it is, it is hard. Uh, for us to do it is a lot of work just a lot of work to to do well and also you have small things so it's like it's a five dollar thing you're sending out so you have to have enough in there for it to make it worthwhile right yeah Yeah. so So. i uh, i see that i'm looking forward to being stores in um, in california because i have several friends there i've told about it so it'll be nice i'll I'll be sending them towards the stores yes and hopefully we'll be coming into idaho in you know this next year so I'm, I'm looking forward to that because, you know, <laughs> having 10 packs and it takes me a while to go through them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's, it's in there. Yeah. It'd be nice to buy like one or two. Yeah. And then go That's... through it. And then, and then instead of stocking up. So. No, no, yeah. Michelle, no, no. Keep her on the 10. Don't drive her to the store. <laughs> She's doing the 10 at a time. I would just, you know put her on subscription and leave it there. It's even better than, you know, chancing that she's going to, oh, at the store, oh, I forgot. But you're right, in, in the big scheme of things, retail numbers and volume is where that stuff is, especially with something that's refrigerated because, yes. frozen, because it's just, it's too, it's too hard to, to do all that on an individual basis and really make, you know, make, make sense of that thing. So, yeah. But so, anyway, so um, you have any more uh, things you wanted to, to ask? I, I think I'm, I, one other question really quick, which is going back to what we were doing a little bit at the beginning. And you talked a little bit how you guys divide. How has it been? Because, you know, we're a husband and wife team. You guys are a husband and wife team. Mm-hmm. There's some challenges. Have you how have you guys tackled those? So for us, it it is we haven't had any challenges. We don't step on each other's toes because of the whole left brain, right brain. The things mm-hmm. he enjoys and he really loves to get into are like, okay, great, have it. Uh, and he wants, you know, he doesn't like the stuff that I do. Um, so for us, working together has been ideal because you don't have that he's trying to get in my business or I'm getting in his business. Um, our, our paths are very, you know, they don't even cross over each other. So uh, it's, it's been, it's great because as you know, you mm-hmm. don't shut off work at five o'clock. No, you know, there is coffee. <laughs> uh, you try, you try and not, but it always comes up. So I, I don't understand how people can do it that are single founders, you know, with a partner, how, you know, then if they're not involved in the business with you, I would think that would be pretty hard because you're not part of their world. So right, yeah, you have, you, you- yeah, you you have that involvement all the time, whether you want it or not. Yeah, yeah. De- Deborah and I, one of the things when we started um, doing a lot more work together was because I had a couple of clients who were just starting out. I mean, just real startups, and their challenges were, in fact, more general business challenges than they were CPG marketing. I mean, they they still needed CPG marketing sales help. But what they really needed was a foundation of uh, what are your cost of goods? Uh, what are your whatever? And that was something that she was very used to doing. And so it was like, uh, honey, could you help me out with these people? And, yeah. You know, we try to get this, try to get this done. So. Well, and also having him bring it back down to scale for a long time. He worked with such big companies. So it took him a while to say, OK, no, they're, they're not going to go out and have an advertising. You know, they don't have an advertising budget. 
right? There is no budget. <laughs> so, you know, they bring it down to this kind of um, level that they can actually go. And a lot of people that use like score some of those, that's one of the complaints they'd have is they're like, you know, you need to put together an advertising budget and start doing it. And they're like, we don't have a budget. We don't have so, that. Yeah. 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 And Steve and I divide pretty well too. So um, once in a while, once yeah. Once in a while, we hit, but no, most of it, because my background, his is the CPG. He's the total expert on this area, but um, I'm more of an educator and coach. So it's kind of, I look at it from that lens. He looks at it from the other. And then of course, you know, he always had admins, so he doesn't, he has a virtual assistant now, but some of that stuff, you know, it comes back to me. Yeah. But most of it's divided enough. Like we'll go all oh. day without talking to each other. I mean, we're in the other room and it's like, yeah. yeah. She's also my IT person too. Oh yeah. yeah because, you know, I, I don't understand how any of this, this stuff works. But it's really, it's really a great story that you guys have. And, and uh, you know, I think you're going to have a lot of success and, you know, uh, thank you for sharing part of it with us. We really, yep. really appreciate it. Um, we mentioned at the top that we have this little segment we call words to grow by now. We actually named it. Um, but we ask our guests if they would uh, share with fellow entrepreneurs who make up most of our audience, uh, one word, one phrase, some piece of philosophy or whatever that, you know, based on your journey that you would like to leave for fellow entrepreneurs. So for me, um, the one word that comes to mind is faith. And the reason I say that is because you need to have faith in yourself and faith in your product. Doing this is very difficult. You know, there it, it feels all fun at the beginning, but it is very difficult. But you need to believe because if you put out that um, kind of what, what you put out, you get back. And so if you go along having faith that, yes, this problem will be solved, this hurdle will be overcome, then you'll be able to do it. If you go out and think, all of this is awful. I'm never going to get into stores. I'm never going to be able to do this. That's what you're going to get. So I just encourage people, just have faith in yourself, have faith in your product and believe that you can do it. Absolutely. That's, and that's really, that's really great mm -hmm. advice. Well, thanks again, Michelle. Really appreciate it. And thank you, Michelle. Thank and, you. Um, yeah. And thanks all of you for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be part of the Next Level Brands community. We provide education, resources, workshops, founder coaching, and networking. More information is available at the nextlevelbrands.com. That's with two X's. So next with two X's, levelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Deborah Armstrong. And Steve Clear. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.